Hello, and welcome to What to Say When Things Get Tough, a podcast dedicated to helping you communicate more effectively in difficult situations, both personal and professional. I'm your host, Leonard S. Greenberger. Our guest today is hypnotherapist J. Robert Parker. Because so many of the cues we use to judge whether we believe someone is a caring, empathetic, and trustworthy figure are nonverbal, I thought it would be helpful to speak to someone in J. Robert's field. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Well, let me start sort of officially welcoming you. We're joined today by J. Robert Parker, who is uh, the founder and uh, owner, I guess is the right way to describe, yes? Yes. Twin Ravens Hypnotherapy and Research. Uh, we're delighted to have you on the program. Good to be on. Hypnotherapy is not something I know very much about. Like many people, I have some skepticism about um, the field, but I am very eager to hear uh, about it, learn more about it, and to, and as we have already begun to do, tie together what you do with the theme of this podcast, which is mm-hmm. to help people uh, communicate more effectively in difficult situations, both personal and. I wanted to start off by asking how you found yourself in in this line of work? Well, it was a very roundabout process. I've done counseling and like coaching work a lot previously. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I was working as a chef and my partner was working as waitstaff. And quite obviously, uh, we did not have a job for too long. And I live in a very small community with not a lot of income opportunity. And so I kind of had to fall back on my own skill set. And the skill set that I ended up falling back on was reading tarot cards. Uh, I signed up for a service to read tarot cards. It was very good money, but I found that I was less trying to fortune or whatever, and I was more using the, the archetypes of the tarot cards to reframe people's problems to actually help them address their problem. And I found that I was getting a lot of satisfaction out of that. So I was trying to look for ways to only and at some point the the facebook algorithm coughed up a hypnotherapy college it's a 720 hour program and i talked to the administrator hooked them up on that and it has become the only thing i've ever done in my life i can truly say that i love in terms of a job and you mentioned something kind of important you mentioned a skepticism about hypnosis i had that too before I started. At this point, it is there. there is no question as to if it exists. I can hand you a phone book full of medical research done by research hospitals in Germany, psych hospitals in Italy, everywhere around the world, just mass amounts of research on hypnosis in the trance state. However, I cannot say do not be skeptical, not in the process, but merely in the practitioner. Because while hypnosis itself is an irrefutable present thing, it is a modality, it is a function of the human brain, it is an unregulated profession. So it's very important because it's an unregulated profession to look at someone's credentials. I keep my credentials very out in the open. I'm certified by the Hypnotherapist Union Local 472. Part of the reason I offer a free 15-minute consultation, all, everyone, no matter what. doesn't matter if you want to talk to me in 15 minutes about research. So even if people don't come to see you for a specific hypnosis session, does hypnosis come into play in everyone's daily lives? 
when all you have is a hammer, the whole world looks like nails. I see hypnosis in everything because it's an inherent kind of part of our communication. People think that hypnosis is this magical, mystical thing. And it's, it's a natural process. And it's a process that is both used to our advantage and exploited. Oftentimes, the, the reason it's a risk is because of some association someone has previously. Everything, everything we do is based upon association, what we've learned, the way we've learned to operate, the society we've come up to operate in. And this has created our sense of self. So much so that there is a, a thought experiment that I have begun kind of really putting a lot of, of effort into. And I'll, I'll start by asking you a very simple question. Do we have free will? You're asking me if I yeah. Do we have free will? First thing that popped into my mind is that we like to think we have free will. Here's my, my position and kind of my counter to it. We want to think we have free will. You're right. Because the alternative is frightening. But why... Why do you not like what you don't like? Why do you like what you like? Why do you act the way you act? All of these things are associations, past experiences. You are a product of that that you had no choice over. Ergo, who you are is not a product of free will. However, here's the, the caveat to that. You have the ability to gain it because through hypnotherapy, through what we call metaprogramming, conscious alteration of thoughts and behavior you give yourself free will while say you don't like I don't know apples you do not make the choice to not like apple but through hypnotherapy and through reassociation you can make the choice to like app and exercise your free will and to, to pull back that tangent many times these subjects which are considered risky are risky because of their associations because of sometimes what we have learned and sometimes what we have been told, because as I said, hypnosis is a part of day-to-day -day life. You are in hypnosis twice a day. Um, have you ever woken up in the morning and you had that, as you were laying in bed, that moment of clarity, that everything kind of came together, made sense, and you had a plan? That's hypnosis. 30 minutes after we wake up, and 30 minutes before we go to bed, our mind is naturally in the trance state. And that's why there's that, that clarity. Now, what happens to that is trance is also a hyper-suggestible state. I have some ideas that it's kind of how we learn. It's uh, it's like a function of our neocortex that, or, or the, uh, the, the mirror neurons, rather, to where we learn by seeing. And these people that believe these things so much so that it's considered a risky communication, oftentimes they learn these things from the media or some authority figure. And it's the ways that they learn this are traditionally hypnotic modality. That's why it's so difficult when dealing with some people because we think to ourselves, how can you think, how can you think this way? Well, they're operating under suggestion. They're, they, they believe it so firmly because it is a subconscious belief. That's why it doesn't have anything to do with logic. It doesn't have anything to do with Truth, everything to do with feelings and belief, because belief is very powerful. Something popped into my head that I that, that's very relevant to what you just mentioned, which is belief. There is something called uh, the four hit theory of belief formation in the field of risk communication, and it posits that once someone has heard uh, from a trusted source of information an opinion 
or a, a perspective on an issue. Um, we can go back to vaccinations for COVID uh, as an example. It becomes a belief. And once it becomes a belief, it is virtually impossible to change someone's mind, regardless of facts, data, science, what have you. And in working with clients, what we are often trying to do is prevent uh, the four hit theory from taking hold. So if we don't counter the messaging that someone we're trying to influence is hearing from the other side uh, with messages of our own, uh, those four hits are going to take hold the belief is going to form and then we might as well pack up our bag. By talking about risk communication, and I mentioned that it can be defined most easily by situations that we call high concern, low trust. And in those situations, the number one priority, really the, the only priority or job of a communicator is to establish and maintain trust and credibility with whatever audience he, she, or they are trying to uh, communicate with. Uh, whether to get them to act or, or change their thinking or what have you. You have jumped into ahead here a little in the, on my question, which is fine, uh, in terms of they're the, the coins of the realm, if you will, in the world of risk communication. If you can't establish, maintain, establish and maintain trust and credibility, you're not going to be an effective communicator. And, and that's true outside of this scientific field I keep referring to, it's true in interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. The trust is gone. It's true between you and your mechanic. <laughs> they, exactly. They don't fix your car correctly once. You, you may not go back. If you feel somebody has uh, stabbed you in the back, you're likely not going to work with them anymore. Uh, and exactly. so it, it's, it's, all, it's, an, it's very important. It is in significant decline in this country, the, the, the concept of trust in almost every institution. Trust in institutions, trust yeah, in each other, right. trust in everything. You're absolutely right. There's a major issue with trust. We don't know who to trust. We don't know what to trust. And that's making, because that's, that's not the natural human state to question everything that, that puts us on edge. And I feel like that's evident in society look around you see how on edge we are and i can't help but attribute at least part of that to this notion that we're not comfortable we don't trust the person next to us. and that doesn't work we are community animal we are a pack animal we must trust the pack we have to be able to trust the guy next to us and we don't and that's creating some some problems with everything with communication with society with with all the things around us. And at first I thought it was just me and just my, my perception. But I started speaking to people. I've done interviews many times. And I try to get a concept about what's going on. And the general consensus is, is that much similarly. It's a lack of empathy. It's a lack of trust. It's a lack of understanding and communication. I am, communication is such the number one thing with a bullet for human interaction. It's I find this concept you're talking about, about risk communication, absolutely fascinating. It's not something I've heard of before, but it makes perfect sense. Uh, it's something I absolutely, I intend to look into even after our conversation. It's very interesting. And trust. My book is available on Amazon. Is it? <laughs> oh, okay. I, I'd actually pick that up. This, uh, this part, what to say when things get tough is the title of a book I wrote in uh, 2013. And this okay. podcast is, uh, is an offshoot of the of the book that's awesome i'm actually going to pick that up good job plug your book 
<laughs> but trust is why I do these things. Is why I do so many interviews. Right. Uh, because I I know that what I do is very unusual. What I do, at least currently in this moment in time, and what I do is something that people don't know a lot about to begin with, and that also requires on on face value an extraordinary amount of trust. Uh, I, I would not ask anyone who does not trust me and my words implicitly to, to be hypnotized by me. So you were talking about uh, ways in which you establish trust uh, with prospective mm -hmm. clients, you, the credentials that you've attained and, and encouraging uh, prospective clients to research those and understand what that's about. Also, that you are willing to give anyone 15 free minutes uh, mm -hmm. consultation so they can you know, get to know you a little bit and about what you do. Talk about that a little more if, if you can, and maybe in the setting of now I've, I've overcome the skepticism. Uh, we've had our consultation. I, you know, I, I like you. I've gotten to the point where I at least I'm willing to come in and, and have a session with you um, and give this a try. What else, if anything, do you do when I arrive in the office or if you are doing it virtually? Well, office, I, uh, I work 99% remote. Right, right. So in word or deed. Well, there is, there is a framework of what is considered a hypnotic modality. And one of the main ways, once we've actually had that initial trust enough, is in hypnosis. And in any hypnotic modality, one of the primary things that must be done is an effect must be shown. If I can make you move your hand without you consciously doing it, if I can make you drop a coin out of your hand by simply telling you to and you don't consciously do it, that is proof of effect, proof of ability. And subconsciously, once you show someone that, once you actually make them do something unconsciously, that is a re-verification of trust. That is no longer words at that point. The words have gotten them on my screen or in front of me in my office, but keep them there to, to get the acceptance of the therapy. There must be a proof of concept. And me, even speaking personally, for me undergoing hypnosis, Nothing is better for proof of concept than seeing your hand move when you're not telling it. I love it. It's fun. So, so demonstrating the uh, the effectiveness of the of yes. the tool, if you will, is a in the trust is a constant thing. It's it's something that has to be maintained. Trust. It's it's a perception of authority in that trust because with it, it, it has to be more than trust. It has to be the trust of authority. Because the trust of authority is what allows me to guide your subconscious to change your associations for more positive. And it's, it's, it's one of the things they hammered into us in school. The, the trust, the rapport, the, the having someone perceive you as someone that can help. And it goes through in everything. And this doesn't just apply to my job. Like the way you dress, the way you use the body language you use. And I uh, I didn't always used to be that way. I, I used to be a very negative person. And going to this school and learning about myself and about others and about communication really, really helped me understand myself, who I was and what I was and what I wanted. And I am I can honestly say I've never been happier. I'm not going to tell you I'm a rose-colored glasses kind of person, but I have a 
a much more healthy, realistic view of everything. I am not what I would call a negative anymore. And a lot of that has to do with what's called mindfulness, just watching the way you think, watching the way you talk about not only others, but yourself. If, if in your mind you're telling yourself, man, I suck. No, you're right, can't. But if you tell yourself, I got this, it's fine, I know how to do this. If you compliment yourself, if you, you treat others with that same respect, we've all heard that old adage, treat others how you want to be treated. We assume that's because of basic human kindness, and it partially is, but it's also a reflection of yourself. The way that you treat and respect other people is a direct reflection upon your treatment and respect of yourself, which is a distressing concept because like we've said, there's this breakdown of trust and communication. We see the way that other people treat other people. And with that idea in mind, what does that say? That, that we have such an utter lack of respect for ourselves that we treat other people this way. And it's, I don't, I don't understand it. And I say this having been that person before. And it's the strangest thing, the growth that I feel like I've made because I look back at the man I was and it feels like a stranger, the stranger's thought. And it's a lot to deal with. And that's something a lot of my clients deal with because once you've opened this perception, and once you've made this step to make yourself what you want to be you do make yourself a bit of a stranger but it's it's not bad because we always distance ourselves from our past just the way it is it's just to be able to so consciously and suddenly do it is a little strange but it's it's freeing i i never understood and this is going to seem like such a ridiculous concept i never understood the concept of self-worth and self-esteem before I never understood the value in holding yourself in higher regard, the value of respecting yourself and what that meant. And through that mindfulness, through learning how to help others, I also learned how to help myself. Well, it's occurred to me as we've been talking that, you know, the root word of hypnotherapy is therapy. And really, this is a, a, a different way of coming at things. I, I would say roughly 15 years ago, I was a very big skeptic of psychiatry and psychology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, like many people, I think thought it was for weak people who couldn't handle their own problems. Same. And now I'm older and I hope wiser. And in my opinion, every single one of us should have and i was the same way when i was young i was i've encountered this in some clients and a lot of it is where we come from culturally and there's this stigma with mental health in this country especially among men the you're not crazy you don't need help you got your own shit handle you can do whatever and i had that i remember having that mentality thinking i'm not weak i'm not crazy whatever excuse i had and it is among the dumbest thoughts I've ever had in my life. Because now that I've experienced and I know what seeking help and understanding means, people think that getting help makes you weak. And it's strange because getting help makes you strong. The weakness comes from not getting help. The weakness comes from limiting yourself. And I'm glad I see that now, though I wish it had happened sooner. 
And you had said that like hypnotherapy is therapy. It is. There's the, the main difference is, is so the way a hypnotherapy session goes is the, the first half pretty much indistinguishable from normal therapy. We're just talking. I'm asking questions. I'm asking how that makes you feel, but I'm doing something specific that another therapist is not. And that's, I'm looking for your own verbiage. I'm looking for your metaphor. I'm looking for the, the specific ways you express your problems and feelings because that is the language of your subconscious. So I feed these metaphors and this language back to your subconscious during the hypnotic phase, which helps your subconscious listen and affect change. And so that's the, that's where the change comes in that instead of going the full session, just talking and doing the, how does that make you feel? Eventually there's a, all right. And we sit down, we put you we induce trance and I take you through this therapy that I have planned. Hypnotherapy can look like many different things. Look like me just reading you a story. But through that metaphor, there is subconscious change. Some hypnosis looks like conversation. There is a man who I consider to be one of my, my idols in the field named uh, Dr. Milton Erickson. And he was this kind of kooky, quiet old guy. And he could induce hypnosis with a handshake was famous for it. The Ericksonian handshake induction is awesome. But he his but the transcripts of his hypnosis sessions, there is nothing that you would recognize as traditional hypnosis. Yet this man was able to affect so much change through that. And it's 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 almost a cautionary tale because it says that yeah, you can be tranced in simple conversation. And there are absolutely people that can do that and take advantage of it. And that's the other thing that, and in, in, in learning about hypnosis and learning about how trance works, what this state is, which I'm very big on education with my clients. You also learn how to avoid it, how to recognize it. And one of the first things, for example, I tell my customers to do, my clients, is I ask them, watch TV? The answer is yes. I'll say, stop watching commercials entirely. Do not watch advertise because these things marketing reps 100% know about hypnosis they 100% know about suggestibility and they are exploiting that every once in a while I'll see an ad pop up online that even I'm like oh wow that's a good one that's going to get someone and it's it's important especially in today's society especially as somebody lives in a large city around a lot of other people that you know and learn to recognize what trance is, what hypersuggestibility is, and how to not be in that state. Because the things that cause trance, hypersuggestibility, are what's called message. That can be someone talking to you, a sound going on around you, a smell, a, literally any perception that you are able to intake. And when you have an overload of message units, which is very easy to do in certain situations, your body goes into fight flight. And if it cannot do that, it goes into trance. Here, as you describe that, what's coming to my mind are casinos, which I think are probably yep. the world's mm -hmm. foremost experts on putting you, Absolutely. putting people in a uh, in a trance in terms of the, Absolutely. the, the smells of the sounds. The, the lights, the lack the of altered the oxygen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think 
you know, they're, yes. that's, that's what they're doing. They're, they're hypnotizing you to yes. gamble and continue gambling. Well, I'm glad you, I, one of my questions was going to be what, you know, if I came in, what would I expect? You, you've just walked me through that and I, and I do appreciate it. What do people come to you for most often, or is it sort of across the board? Are they well, trying to stop smoking or are they having difficulty in their relationship? Is it, is it, is it, yes. Oh, oh. It's it's, a, it's pretty across the board as a as an industry. Uh, me personally, uh, because we all kind of attract different clients based upon who we are. I get a lot of trauma, people wanting to overcome past trauma. Uh, I get a lot of habit control, weight loss, stop smoking. I do or have started to get a lot of relationship stuff, and it's not couples because I'm not a couples therapist, but I will work with one person out of the relationship. And you wouldn't think going to a hypnotherapist for a relationship, that seems unusual, but the, the metaphorical and literal school of hypnosis that I come from has a system for behavior. It's called the EMP system, and that stands for emotional and physical. There's two versions of it. One is for hypnotic suggestibility, and one is for behavior. And in terms of behavior, and especially in terms of relationship, you always hear opposites attract. It's absolutely true, except it's... It's the emophysical side of things that is the opposite that attracts. So, for example, a, a physical uh, behavioral is going to be very outgoing. They're going to be very social. Uh, they're the life of the party. They're the ones talking to everyone. And they express their physical love or they express their love through physical love, through sex, through touch, through things like that. Uh, and they review the rejection of that physical love as rejection. Well, uh, they're going to naturally end up with an emotional. An emotional is more career oriented. They're very logical. They have some issues with control. To them, sex is not a big thing. It's, it's more about the mental exchange of the relationship. And where I come in is, say, my client is highly physical and they, they feel rejected by their partner because they're not as sexually interested as they think they should be. Their partner isn't as interested in being social because we think everyone's like us because we don't know anything but us. But by teaching this person that, no, your, your partner is this opposite suggestibility and that's good. This is the way they perceive things. This is the way... Like sex, saying that they're not interested in having sex that night is not a rejection of you. They're just not as interested. And on the other end of that, if I was talking to the emotional, I would let them know that your partner is a high physical, that they value physical validation a lot. And so to make maybe make a little more effort to, to increase the amount of physical touch, maybe to engage them more and what their behavior types activities are and it's in this understanding that relationship can kind of fix itself one of the uh, chapters of my book just talks about something called a code score which was developed by one of the gurus in the field of risk communication dr vince cavello and code stands for caring and empathy openness and honesty dedication and commitment and expertise and competence uh, which he defines as the four criteria that you need to meet in order to 
establish and maintain trust and credibility with uh, an audience that you're seeking to influence in some way. And caring and empathy are at top because Absolutely. they are uh, the most important uh, factor. In fact, the research shows that most people will judge whether another person is a caring and empathetic individual within 30 seconds of meeting them. And once they've made that decision, uh, it can be almost impossible, as in the forehead theory of belief formation, uh, almost impossible to, to change their minds. So um, first impressions really are everything. Yeah. There are parts, and, and and the other thing that popped into my head as you were talking there is the the, the, the need to know your audience, right? So, what, mm-hmm. and then that's a part of empathy: is where are they coming from? Uh, why are they concerned about what they're concerned? Being uh, respectful of those concerns, and I think that goes back to vaccines uh, where we started mm-hmm. at the beginning. And and I think there is, you know, I'm I've been vaccinated. I'm. Uh, you know, feel myself to be very grounded in science. I don't understand why people are so resistant. I have a stepson who um, has refused to be vaccinated despite all of our attempts to try to get him to do so. But I do, I worry that being too disrespectful uh, of of other people who do not want to be vaccinated uh, is counterproductive. Yes. If we're calling them idiots and like denigrating them, it's going to increase that resistance. Yeah. And I don't, I see the media and the where they, the way they're treating the unvaccinated and they're being belittling, they're being insulting, they're threatening almost the, you're going to die if you don't get this. Maybe perhaps understand why they're being hesitant and go from there and don't call them stupid. Like there's no quicker way to get resistant. Someone else that if they don't feel like you care, if you're empathetic of the way they think, you don't respect the way they think. My favorite way <laughs> to illustrate empathy and, and social concern. Have you ever heard of the shopping cart test? No. I uh, it I says have. that someone's worth as a citizen can be exemplified with what they do with the shopping cart after they're done. Yeah. Because... You suffer no consequences for not putting it up. Putting it up is objectively helpful towards your other humans and that it's not something anyone observes you doing. So what do you do when no one is watching you? You suffer no consequences for not doing it, but doing it only serves to help your fellow man. So do you put up the shopping cart after you are done shopping? And if you don't, you really need to think, why? Because two seconds is going to help somebody's day. Two seconds is going to help another human being who you will never, ever meet live a little easier. So do you do something without zero hope of recognition just to keep society going? And unfortunately, we see now a lot of people aren't. Like the whole mask thing. You can't make me wear what I don't want. You have to wear a seatbelt. Do, do you have to wear pants in public? Okay, put on a mask because it's the same thing. You wear pants in public for consideration of others because ain't no one want to see that. Same thing. Yeah, I, I, what, what drives me crazy, I will admit, are when uh, people who are uh, anti-vax um, compare it to 
riding a motorcycle without a helmet or or even not wearing a seatbelt. I mean, you know, that's those are dangerous things uh, to do only for you. But only exactly. I mean, it, it is public health for a reason. Public is the key word there. Um, and that's why those are the officials who are in charge, who are experts, who we should be listening to. Because if you don't, don't want to wear a helmet and you kill yourself on a motorcycle, I, that is a tragedy. And I <laughs> am, feel very sorry. It goes out to your family, but and, and your loved you made one, the choice. But that's your choice. So, exactly. well, I think. Robert, that's a that's a good place to end it. I, I've, I've gotten through all of my questions. I really do appreciate you taking the time. Uh, again, thanks for having me on. We've been talking to uh, J. Robert Parker, the founder of Twin Ravens Hypnotherapy and Research. Uh, we will include uh, a link to your website in the uh, show notes uh, in case anyone wants to take advantage of uh, a free fifteen minutes consultation uh, with Robert. Absolutely. Is there uh, any other way that uh, people can reach you or follow you? I'm on Facebook and Instagram, uh, generally under Twin Ravens Hypno. Uh, my website's www.twinravens.org. Uh, I do keep some research resources on there. There are some suggestibility tests on there if you're curious to take them. And like I said, the 15-minute consultation is free. If you just want to chat for 15 minutes about what the research is or what it does, or if you have questions, I'm happy to answer them. I welcome everyone and anyone to try hypnotherapy. You don't even have to have a problem necessarily. You don't have to be trying to quit smoking or trying to do something. If you simply want to be more focused or more motivated, these are absolutely good things. So if anyone that wants to, to discuss how I can help them directly, absolutely contact me. My website is easiest and best way there's multiple contact routes on there but yeah thanks for having me on i'm i'm gonna check your book out you you have definitely intrigued me on this concept well this was this was very illuminating and i i think most interesting to me that there are a lot of uh, sort of connections uh between what what you do and and, and what i do and um lessons that i think we've pulled out that uh, the listeners will be able to apply as they uh, attempt to navigate difficult conversations in their lives. So Absolutely. thank you so much. You, pleasure speaking to you. As always, thank you to Jim Cirillo at jimmymgroup.com for our original music and Rachel Greenberger for our original art. Please send questions to WTSWTGT at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at hashtag WTSWTGT. Until next time, always be positive.